Well, welcome along to The Pastor's Heart. Dominic Steele is my name. Now, next week on this program, we're going to be speaking with Paul Grimmond. He's the Dean of Students at Moore Theological College, and he's going to be talking to us. I just saw he wrote an article the other day, Do Not Be Anxious About Anything. Is That All There Is? And uh, we're going to be talking to him about the whole issue of anxiety, and particularly anxiety in the pastoral ministry. And so I'm looking forward to that. But my guest today, and it's our first international guest on The Pastor's Heart, David Robertson. It's very good to have you with us. Nice to be here. David is the, uh, well, he's the senior minister at uh, St. Peter's Dundee. Uh, in Scotland, yep. and also responsible for the Sol- one of the directors of the Solar Centre for Public Christianity in uh, Scotland. Yep. And, uh, it's great to have you with us. And uh, can I start, David? Because I have long thought that you have the gift of debating or the gift <laughs> of conflict. Or <laughs> and how, how do you handle conflict as a pastor, and in, and in your role where you've done so many conflicting moments for Jesus? No, I don't like debating at all. Let's not. No, <laughs> let's debate whether. No, um, here there are two different things here. Mm. One is conflict within the church, which is mm-hmm. different. You know, mm. I, I don't. Uh, yes, as I said deb- it, then deb- I, don't, I yeah. feel like I didn't get it right. In that, yeah, I, I, I don't, you obviously the, don't like conflict with. But the other is debating in. Well, sometimes in the church you have to have conflict. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, a minister who's not prepared to have conflict is not going to last long. Mm. Or not going to do much because if you set a direction, there are going to be people yeah. who disagree with you. And 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 if you disturb the devil, he's going to have a go at mm. you. So there's going to be conflict. Um, debating. I think the simplest thing to say is that when I became a Christian, I was a teenager, and I didn't like Christians, so I decided to be a secret Christian. And cut a long story short, I was outed as a mm. Christian, and a very very small group of Christian pupils in the school, which was about fifteen. 16-year-olds, they said to me, they were astonished, said, you're a Christian? I said, yes. And they said, look, will you do us a favor? We know you're, you're a good speaker. Would you be in our uh, debate next week that the school are having with an atheist, an agnostic, a liberal Christian, and an evangelical Christian? And would you represent the evangelicals? So I did. And I stood and, up. And outed yourself. <laughs> yeah, basically, and, and made this argument. And afterwards, the head of the English department, the teacher, came up and said to me, David, that was just brilliant, outstanding. You almost had me believing that you were a Christian because <laughs> he thought I was just arguing for right. this fun of it. And I looked at him and I said, Mr. Patterson, that's the last time anyone will ever say that to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought then, hmm, you know, it's interesting in a debate scenario, we, you do an outreach event, we get five people. The debate scenario, we had 100 people. But I didn't think more of it. I went off to university uh, I then uh, went into the Free Church College, studied theology. I became a minister at 24. And then uh, in 2007, I wrote a book called The Dawkins Letters. And I suddenly got, it became a bestseller in secular outlets. And I suddenly started getting invites to universities and various other things. And we also arranged a debate on the Da Vinci Code. And one time I was standing there in uh, Borders Bookstore and f- people were firing in questions from right, left, and center. And it was just a great way to communicate the gospel. I remember going home and saying, Lord, I used to do this in politics when I was in university. Mm-hmm. Why did it take me 20 years to, 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 to do this as evangelism? And the kind of answer I got, not a direct voice, was basically, because if you'd been doing this 20 years ago, you would have been an arrogant, horrible... Right. So it's really 20 years of experience of, you know, I've, I've buried the junkie and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, 
the 18-month-old caught death and things like that and had to wrestle with a lot of issues. But I found debating, and if you go through the book of Acts, you know, they debated from house to house. Mm-hmm. I find, I, and maybe debating carries the wrong impression for many... I, I'm not sure how the image here would be, but at home it would be the kind of Oxford or St. Andrew's debating society, mm-hmm. so very posh, very... or parliament, mm-hmm. or school debating clubs. Whereas for me... It's not so much formal debates, it's discussing, and I would say it's learning by argument. Mm -hmm. So my aim is not to grind people into the ground, though that is always fun. But um, my aim is to get people to think. And I think that's what the apostles were doing. I don't think they were going around from house to house um, hammering people. Mm -hmm. I think they were going around, and to me it's a creative way of communicating the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because some of the people I've seen debate, both on the side of Christ and mm-hmm. not on the side of Christ, um, I thought they're really actually lacking in empathy, do you know, for the person they're speaking to. I, I, yeah. haven't, I haven't felt that about you yeah. as I've watched the things you've done. And so I thought, yeah, there's some gift there. Yeah. Well, I think you can't... Well, you, well you, I was going to say you can't lack empathy, but you can because, um, you know, you can be doing it like you're playing chess. Mm. Um, to me, you need to think logically, absolutely, mm-hmm. but you're also talking to human beings. Mm. So let me just give one example. Uh, I, I go and speak, I quite often do what they call cafe evangelism, which mm-hmm. is a 20-minute talk followed by an hour of questions. Now, if I had my way, I'd probably do all questions, mm-hmm. if I could, but the 20-minute talk is to wind them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite often, I will go and I'll be giving a talk on God and science or something, mm-hmm. and the first or second question will be, what do you think about homosexuality? Mm-hmm. Now, you have to look at the person who's asking it, and you have to work out why they're asking it. Mm-hmm. So they could be asking it because they are homosexual, because their brother is, because they've got a lot of concerns about the issue, or they could be asking it as an accusation. Mm-hmm. Why are you such a homophobic bigot? Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that Jesus did a lot was when people asked him questions, he asked them a question back. Mm-hmm. Not to be a politician in order to avoid the question, but to draw out from the questioner what they really mean. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I would certainly advise people who, are, who engage in this kind of Q&A question, and listen. The, the key thing in debating, for me, the key thing in evangelism is listening. Mm-hmm. But you listen, and then you respond appropriately. It's why, personally, I think debating on social media is pretty well a waste of time and mm. almost always becomes in the nasty. On Facebook or yeah. on Twitter or whatever. I mean, I do it, but it all usually becomes nasty. And usually what happens is when someone says, well, what about this? I will say to them, okay, if you are anywhere near Dundee, Scotland in the next three months, Come and talk. we're going to have coffee yeah. and we'll talk about it. Mm. But I ain't doing this over social media. Mm. Um, now, well, you, you spoke a moment ago, you said... I didn't discover it 20 years ago because I would have been a bit of a jerk yeah. and God kept me from that. Yeah. Tell us about the journey of God humbling you. Do you know, because we're talking about the pastor's heart here. Yeah. Well, I, I became a minister when I was 24 after seven years training. So I was the youngest, certainly free church, that's a Presbyterian minister in Scotland for a while. Mm. Um, and when you're young, you're arrogant. <laughs> you know, and I'm sorry to any younger guys listening to this. Actually, when you're old, you can be arrogant as well. But when you're old, you learn to hide it better. Um, but I went straight into a small rural charge uh, where I'd never t- taken a funeral. 
Mm. I'd never led a Kirk session. I'd never, you know, I knew nothing about church leadership. I mean, it was crazy, mm. really. Um, and you had to learn on the job, and it was a bit like riding a bicycle. You kept falling off until you got going. Mm. But in my view, I have been in the ministry for over 30 years now, and I genuinely believe I'm still learning. In fact, mm -hmm. one of the reasons I'm here in Australia is to learn more. Mm. Um, we went through different phases. That church grew. I, it, I, I thought it was normal for people to be converted, because they were. Mm -hmm. um, I was there for six years, and then I was called to a church in Dundee, inner city church, with seven people. Four of whom left when we came. <laughs> it's what we call a Scottish revival. Actually, well, that's kind of what happened yeah. here when I came yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, yeah. It was 13 for me. Yeah. <laughs> Just about everyone left. And we didn't, you know, we didn't suddenly pack the place out. We didn't, it, it took, it was 18 years before one Christian family came to us. Right. So, you know, um, that's, often churches grow. So that's a lot of evangelism growth. Yes. Yeah. 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 So a lot of evangelism growth. Plus, you know, you say it's the pastor's heart. A lot of the people we received, I would say, were Christians, but broken. Mm -hmm. So, for example, some would come from a charismatic background and they'd suffered from heavy shepherding. Mm -hmm. Some would come from a Catholic background and the whole child abuse thing had really mm -hmm. shook them up. Some, uh, a lot came from the Church of Scotland background. Um, but having said that, an awful lot came from pagan or atheistic background. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it was just gradual growth over many, many years. And then about seven years ago, ago it, it, it really became much more explosive growth. Mm -hmm. And that, that's been good to see. Now, one of the risks in asking somebody like you this question, where it, it's clear mm -hmm. you're one of the people with a peculiar, peculiar gift of evangelism. Mm -hmm. um, and I find sometimes the minister who has the really extraordinary gift of evangelism, the, strategy, the evangelistic strategy of the church is just come and hear me. Do you know? But... But what's the, 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 the repeatable things we can learn from St. Peter's oh. about evangelism for other churches? Well, I mean, here's, uh, I, I was asked by a couple of senior evangelicals in the UK. They came to see me and they said, look, we want you to set up a separate ministry. You know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like you've got Ravi Zacharias mm -hmm. Ministries. And I said to them, guys, the day you ever see the sign, David Robertson Ministries, just take a gun shoot out and shoot me. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. You know, that's no way. That, that's not how we do things in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um... And also, uh, the, the, one of them, I said, come up and talk to me. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you have to investigate everything. And I said, why do you want me to do this? He says, you know, you're very gifted as an evangelist and so on. And I said to him, okay, I want to tell you something. I go to the European Leadership Forum in, in Poland. And I said, uh, I always get, they always score you, which is ridiculous. But I always get very high scores from, like, you know, your Slovakian Baptist pastor or your... Romanian so you Orthodox. Give a Bible talk, and no. they score your Bible talk. Well, yeah, basically seminars and things like that right. on, on evangelism. So yeah. they, you know, they, and I said it always, it always comes out very high. And I said, why do you think all these different pastors do that? I said, I'm not particularly brilliant, but it's because I'm a pastor. Mm -hmm. So they get guys coming over from the states and elsewhere who've got ministries in this and who are lecturers in mm -hmm. that. But I'm in a post-industrial, rundown city, just like many of them, mm -hmm. and so I'm. You know, basically, my problem was, I said, how can I go out and start talking about doing evangelism, training people to do evangelism, and not do it? Mm. And because I believe evangelism is done through the church. So your question is really pertinent, because mm. I don't believe dynamic individuals do evangelism. Mm -hmm. I believe the local church does it. However, I also believe that most local churches don't do it. Mm. But they are the ones who should do it. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that 
a huge amount of the evangelism takes place in our church is not because of me. I, I provoke people. I, I mean, I think my congregation is very creative, and we once had a consultant come and say, well, you've got a lot of creative people because you're creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so you attract them. Yeah. yeah, basically. So like attracts like. But also we're incredibly diverse because what we've done is we've said, right, what's the main central things in the church? Preaching of God's word, prayer, you know, the praise and so on, the fellowship of God's people, the sacraments, and probably what we would add to that mercy ministries. Mm-hmm. And I would argue if you've got a healthy church, then evangelism becomes a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. So that, you know... People just want to bring people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, uh, your listeners will know this. Who's your best evangelist? It's the person who's just become a Christian. Mm-hmm. For, usually from a non-Christian background. You don't need to tell them, go tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They, they're going to. Mm. Um, I think too often churches have to be guilted into evangelism, and that's a bad idea. So the way I describe it, and it's a very simple illustration. I like um, football, mm-hmm. uh, like soccer, the proper, mm-hmm. the proper one. And I once saw Barcelona come to play Dundee United. Uh, Barcelona, the best team in the world. Mm-hmm. Dundee United, definitely not the best team in the world. And I remember at halftime, the Dundee United fans standing up and applauding Barcelona, who were 4 nil ahead. Now, when I left that game, I was so amazed by them. I went on a bus, and supposing... The person sitting beside me had been a little old granny who could only speak Slovakian or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was still going to tell her about the football because yeah. I was so pumped. Just so excited. Yeah. yeah. And I want people going out of church and they've actually got to restrain themselves from yes. telling rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. So if they've got that, I mean, uh, Tim Keller uses this illustration and, and it's peculiar for him, I think, but we can apply it to ourselves. He says, he preaches as though the non believing husband, wife, son, partner, work colleague, friend, whatever, uh, were sitting in the pew beside the person Mm -hmm. in the pew. And he said he does that, and in six weeks they will be. Now, he has a unique gift. Mm -hmm. I think he has a... I don't think I have a unique gift. I think I... No, but the principle's right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not preaching to the people who are there. You're preaching to the people who you wish were there. Well, no, I think you are preaching to the people who are there, but in such a way that they're going, I just wish... My husband had heard this. As well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's not just you are preaching to the person who's there, but you, for example, simple thing, um, preaching on the fatherhood of God. One day, this woman gets up, walks out in tears. Turns out, when we met with her afterwards, she said, "That's horrible, absolutely horrible." Well, of course, you know what's coming. Her father had treated her badly. Yeah. Now, every time I use the term "father of God," I don't go right. Now, I need to explain this for those of you who've been treated badly, but occasionally, now and then, I will. Mm. So all the time you're looking and saying, you're thinking, well, not just the people who are here, but the people who are here, the people they know, am I equipping them to communicate the gospel? Mm. So rather than me thinking I'm the evangelist, I'm in a congregation now of about 300 people, a lot of children and students. I'm thinking, I've got 150 evangelists mm. here. So I've got to equip mm. them. Um, and that, that for me is very important. I think the church should be evangelistic. And the minister or the pastor, or whatever, should deliberately gear it that way. Mm. Now, you've been in Australia for a little while now, and you were here last year. Tell us about the church scene in Scotland, and the church versus the state and the society in Scotland, and what we can learn here in Australia. Well, we've secularised quicker, I believe. I mean, people question this, but I I would be prepared to defend it. My thesis is that we have secularised quicker than any nation in history. 
in the past 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Scotland would now regard itself as a progressive nation, at least in terms of the elites who govern us. Um, they make the Sydney Morning Herald look completely conservative, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and ABC, a bastion of, of balance, <laughs> That's right. right? So uh, we are a lot further down the road than you. Our national state church, in, I, I believe, is in a state of collapse, the Church of Scotland. So the, <clears> just the Church of Scotland, it's kind of the equivalent of the Church of England? Or it's, it's yeah, it's the equivalent of the Church of England in, in England. Yeah. It is a Presbyterian church, and, and it's still got some good evangelical churches in it. You know, mm -hmm. they've got friends who are evangelicals in the Church of Scotland, but many have left. Um, they're not growing, they're declining, they're losing 20,000 members a year. We have the residue of civic Christianity. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the influence of Christianity, particularly in the education system, has pretty well gone. Um, and that means that 90, 95% of people are growing up without any knowledge of the gospel. So, I mean, there was an analysis done fairly recently that said that, in effect, Scotland is now an unreached people group, or the Scots are, mm. because it's doubtful whether any more than 2% know what the gospel is. Mm. Now, there's pros and cons in that. Uh, one of the pros is this. Whenever I do a debate against an atheist, I've never lost. Not because I'm brilliant, but because they haven't a clue what they're talking about. So it's remarkably easy. So they easy. keep attacking straw men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, a standard thing I would say, again, uh, and, and, you know, the pastor's heart, if someone comes and says, I'm an atheist, and I'm, you know, they're quite militant. Mm. You say, well, you don't believe in God? Uh-huh. And tell me about this God you don't believe in. Don't immediately go straight into the, you know, five mm. theistic proofs or something. Well, I don't believe in a God who does this. I don't believe in a God who does that. I don't believe in a God. You say, well, that's amazing. I don't believe in that God either. Yeah. But let me tell you about the God I do believe in. Mm. And for nine out of ten, it's completely new. Mm. Completely new. And that, again, is where face-to-face -face stuff. That's what I like about the debating, because it's face-to-face. -face. Online, people, I mean, they call me everything, evil, everything. When I debate people face-to-face... -face, does it stress you out? Totally. I hate it. People think I like it. People think I like, you know, they think I'm this aggressive person who likes, you know. No, no, that, I mean, that was clear. You're not that guy. That's yeah. what I thought. I, I hate it. I, yeah. I mean, I cannot describe how much I hate it. When I wrote the Dawkins letters, I had a month of being attacked viciously. Mm. I mean, really viciously. Death threats mm. as well. Two death threats. And one, Dawkins had, had to be ordered to take down. Because I admire what you're doing, but I think I'd be too stressed to do yeah. it. Yeah, well, uh, seriously, it is stressful. I mean, I, I, I don't thrive off it. I don't... Um, what I thrive off is going into the uh, situation where people will stand up and sometimes ask aggressive questions and, and I talk to them. Now, the trick is there is you're firm, but you're dealing with a human being. And can you win the person? Yeah, but you don't. You see, too many evangelical Christians think you win the person by being bland. Mm. So let me give you an example. I'm in Northern Ireland in Belfast. 400 people in a lecture theatre at the university uh, in Belfast, Queen's University. About a third, over on my right-hand side, are kind of uber-evangelicals, mm. you know, very strong. Mm. And a third, over on my left-hand side, are fundamentalist atheists. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people in the middle, who are in the middle. And one of the fundamentalist atheists stands up and yells at me. Now, he's dressed in black from head to toe. He has the whole goth thing, the eyebrows, the, the pierced nose and ears and lips. And he says... There are hundreds of myths about babies being born on the 25th of December. Why should we believe yours? And before I could stop myself, I said, Sir, you are the prime example of the dangers of Wikipedia. <laughs> and the place <laughs> burst out laughing. And they, 
And I thought, oops, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Um, anyway, he looked so angry. And I said, no, there's not. There's not. I explained that the, you know, where the different myths come from. And they weren't on the 25th of December and so on. But just classic example of taking something off the internet. Yeah. So anyway, at the end, I, I, ha- I happened to be signing books because that's one of the reasons for being there at that particular thing. And uh, I saw him standing in the queue. And thankfully, the queue was big. And he looked. He had a big, long black coat. And I thought, probably a shotgun in there or something. You know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness. And so I took my time, I yeah. really hoping he would go away. But no, he stayed right to the end, and as soon as he came to me, I put my hand out, and I said, excuse me. I said, I am really sorry. I broke a golden rule there. I said, I made fun of you, yeah. and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And he looked at me, and he said, I'll not repeat what he said exactly, because he swore, but he said, no. He said, uh, I was talking absolute, Rubbish. and, and yeah. you and, uh, and you called me out on it, and you are quite right. And he said, if you hadn't, I wouldn't have stayed. Right. But he said, I couldn't believe that you, you called me out on it. And he said, you did. And so I thought, I thought I'm going to stay and listen to the rest of this guy. So it's not, you don't tell people to be aggressive, but sometimes you've got to be quite strong. Mm. And sometimes you bounce off people. Um, sometimes, it's, sometimes it's really funny. I was in Cambridge. As you know, yeah. no, we, we, yeah. what, you, you, before you were going about the, the situation in Scotland. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. Of Scotland. yeah. Now, what's your, your analysis of Australia? Okay, well, let's come back to that, yeah. Um, I mean, there are some good churches in Scotland, you know, there's still, and, and there's some signs that maybe it could be turned around, but it's not being at the moment. And we should say at this point, you've really only seen Sydney. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've been in Melbourne, and I was at Katoomba as well, so oh, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so maybe that's... And Nowra, my daughter. Yeah. I have a daughter in Nowra. Well, I have a lot of Australian friends here as well, because I, uh, one of the ministries that's really taken off is I, I write a blog called The We Flee, mm. and I wrote it as a personal thing, mm. and I think last year there were a million people who, who visited it. Mm. So, or there were a million visits. Uh, I think it was about half a million people, but you know, um, but it was quite extraordinary. And a lot of them are from Australia. Mm. So people from Australia write me, and I would say, let me just take a rough stab at this. An overall scenario, I would simply say this: you're about ten years behind us, but you're heading our direction. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you, I think we're the more aggressive. I don't mean that we're advanced. I mean we are going downhill. Aggressive, secular, military. Yeah, secularism. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think you've got it. I recognise it. I see it. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to eventually having a letter published in the Sydney Morning Herald. I keep <laughs> writing them. Um, and I'd love to go on your ABC question time, you know, yeah, and yeah. things like that. However, there's some differences. You've got some very, very strong churches, um, including Anglican churches, which we don't have. Mm. You have uh, scripture in schools. Mm and a far bigger influence on education than we do, and I would strongly advise you never to let that go. That's mm-hmm. the one you do not want to let go. Mm. Um, and uh, you've got areas of the country where there's still significant Christian influence. But m- my personal perception would be if you don't start using the strength that you have and the gifts that you have to communicate the gospel more effectively you're going to be where we are within five years. What do you mean by doing that? What's your, so what are you calling us to do? Well, what I'm, I, I can tell you what I'm calling, not calling you to do. I'm not calling you to... I, I think Christians should be involved in politics, and you have something here, is, is it the American... Not the American, the Australian Christian families? Lo- Australian Christian, lobby. Christian lobby. Yeah, I, was, I spoke at a dinner for them. I'm really impressed with them. Mm-hmm. And we don't have anything like that, really. So I was very impressed with them, and I'll be honest, I didn't expect to be impressed with them, mm-hmm. so, but I was. So, but what I'm really talking about, it's good that you've got that, but you're not going to have Christian laws without Christians. Mm-hmm. And you're not, 
you know, that's just daft. So you need to see churches that are growing by conversion. And not just by immigrants coming in, because a lot of people who come to Australia as immigrants will be predisposed towards mm. going to an evangelical church mm. or much more open to hearing the gospel. But you need to see happen what's happened in London, of all places, where particularly, again, the Anglican churches, young urban professionals, you know, Holy Trinity, Brompton, um, St. Helens, Bishopsgate, they've reached mm. thousands, mm. and thousands have been converted. Mm. And I think that's made a significant difference. Um, I think that, what, what, I guess what I'm calling for is for you to, to look for churches to grow by conversion growth and for new churches to be planted within different communities to reach those communities. Mm. That, that, that's, you know, I, I think you've got the resources to do that. If you wait till you get to our level, we're doing, we're making bricks without straw. Mm-hmm. You know, it's taken me and my whole, my congregation 25 years we've now planted two new churches but it took us 25 years to get Mm. to that stage i i hope we've reached critical mass i hope that once we've paid off our building we'll be planting a church a year but 25 years for the first one Mm. so you know and that's because we had no resources Mm. you know well you you, we have of course the holy spirit and god's word Mm. Mm -hmm. if i didn't believe that i'd Mm. i'd have given up Mm. You know, but that, that, that's, I think you're in a stronger position to do evangelism. You don't wait to do evangelism until you're... St. Peter's. St. Peter's was down to seven people. So when I went there, the seven people, of the four left, they basically said, do what you want because we're finished. <laughs> well, I would say, okay, guys, maybe we need to, you know, loosen up a wee bit and get involved in more creative evangelism. And, but, but whilst holding on to the absolute core and centre of the word. Mm. Um, that's what I would say. Now, you've started a centre called Solas, yeah. Public Christianity Centre. What are you aiming to do there? Well, that came about because of a man called Gordon Wilson, who was leader of the Scottish Nationalist Party, uh, ex-leader, came into church one Sunday, and I, said, I recognised him, I'm interested in politics. I said, Mr Wilson, nice to see you. Why are you here? He said, oh, I read your book, David, and uh, curious. I couldn't get any book signings, so we thought we'd come along. That's nice, yeah. So he and his wife came, never left us. Mm-hmm. He, he died last year, but um, he, he said to me one day, David, I'm a new believer, but you've got to stop running around like a headless chicken. Let the mountain come to Mohammed. So I said, Gordon, what are you talking about? He said, you've got to bring people here to train them to do the kind of evangelism you do. Mm-hmm. And so Solas was born, and it was born with three aims, to train churches in evangelism, in what we call persuasive evangelism. We don't like the term apologetics. But it is what many people would understand as apologetics, but it's persuasive evangelism. Also, to provide resources like videos, short video clips, mm-hmm. uh, podcasts, different things. And also, um, one thing was to get into the secular media. Mm-hmm. And I would say to your guys, pray to get into the secular media wherever you are, local newspaper, whatever. But be careful what you pray for, because God answered our prayer and there isn't a week goes by when the secular media don't contact me, even here in Australia. Mm-hmm. But it ain't easy. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hostile. Sometimes they're trying to set you up. So one of the things I'm going to do when we go home is we're going to take a group of church leaders and train them in how to deal with the secular media. Because uh, I na- I've now been doing that for years. Lots of church leaders feel completely frightened yeah. of the secular media. Um, but you, you do have some tips on how to do it. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things is, I used to think journalists were hostile. Mm-hmm. This may not be, oh, you, you, you know the scene here mm. far better than I do. My view now is that they're generally not hostile, they're just ignorant. Mm. 
And by that, I don't mean ignorant as in stupid. I mean, they're just ignorant of Christianity. Well, well I'd say you've got two things going on. I mean, on one level, you've got um, I mean, John 8, children of the father and children of the devil. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. there, there is a sense that you, you, uh, you do have the non-Christian journalist yeah. who's a child of the devil. But they're also committed to actually just churning out the content. Yeah. And here is a subject they need to write something on that they don't know anything about. Yeah. And so there's a, they're generally coming to you. Most people are coming to you with ignorance and can you help me just like they're asking, can the little athletics yeah. plot help you? you? You get to know the hostile ones. So one simple tip is have a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. Record the interview. Another tip I would give is never, ever give a comment off the record. Mm-hmm. If you're going to say something, put it on the record. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, you need to learn how to spot what I would call the, the bomb questions. Mm-hmm. So, the, for example, the... When did you stop beating your wife question is, what do you think of homosexuality? Never, you never answer that question directly if a journalist asks you. I would, if, somebody, if a journalist asks me that, I would say, why are you asking me that? What's the relevance of this to the subject we're discussing? And I would, uh, and I would say, if, you're, if you are prepared to give me more than a 30-second soundbite, I will explain. But if you're not, I'm not going to. Hmm. So, you know, there's a whole range of different things. So you watch for the... You, sometimes there are some journalists you know they've written the story hmm. beforehand. And so they're looking for, you know, a headline, homophobic minister rants. Mm. No. Uh, I'm going to give you one example. I got a phone call from a journalist saying, would you like to do a comment on this comedian who's coming to Dundee, to the local theatre, doing his Jesus on a bike tour? And he's just blasphemy, you know. And I said, no. And he said, oh, Dave, please go on. And you're right, they're desperate for a copy. Mm. And then I thought about it. I said, yes, I will. I'll give you a comment. I said, okay, here's the deal. We've got Sons of Korah, who actually are an Australian band, Mm -hmm. who are coming to sing Sam's at my church, St. Peter's, across the street from the theatre where the comedian is the same night. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to issue a challenge. The people of Dundee have a choice. I said, let let me welcome the comedian. I'm not saying, we're not going to stand with placard and say, get him out of here. Mm -hmm. He's as free to come here as anyone else. I said, I believe in freedom of speech. So that's fine. The theatre want him Mm -hmm. to come. I said, I won't be going. But here's the challenge. Let's see who the people of Dundee prefer. On one side of the street, they can blaspheme Christ. On the other side of the street, they can worship him. And the journalist loved it. He said, oh, that's great. So they ran a big story. Minister's challenge. And then, and then they sent um, a, a reporter and a cameraman to both venues. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. The theatre wouldn't let them in because their attendance was so low. And they came to ours and they loved it. But what was even funnier was she said to me, this is brilliant music. And I said, yeah, it is. She said, I didn't think Christian music was like this. And I said, it normally isn't. I'm not a big fan of Christian music. <laughs> I said, I prefer Led Zeppelin. And she said, do you? I said, yeah. So that, got another story. No, the headline the next day was a full page thing was, Minister prefers Led Zeppelin. <sighs> but you're creating relationships with the journalist. Absolutely. And in terms of the wider perception, see, C.S. Lewis has a thing called, you know, drippings of grace. Yeah. Don't go to journalists thinking... I'm going to get the ABCD of the gospel in this interview. No, it's drippings of grace. Yeah. So don't be bland. You know, give them something that they can use, but let them know they can trust you to come back. Yeah. You know, and then you'll go on a database and then, you know. It's been tremendous fun, but yeah. we're over time. So <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. David Robertson has been my guest on The Pastor's Heart, and uh, it's been great having him. Next week, we're going to be talking with um, Paul Grimmond, who is the Dean of Students at Moore Theological College. Just a reminder, you can catch us on the podcast. We're on an audio podcast every week, and uh, you can listen up there. Um, And the details of that are at thepastorsheart.net. Thanks for joining us. See you next Tuesday.
Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.